0: Botox Cosmetic, Ana Botulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults
1: Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300.
0: See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.
2: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is an author, a presenter and a radio DJ who has just left Radio 1 after 17 years. She's also a mum of two boys. It's Annie Mac or Annie <laughs> McManus if you're going to read her books.
0: There we go. Hi, how are you?
3: Hello Giovanna, thank you for having me. I'm really well. i um, still struggling with that word author. need to really like grow into that word a bit more but yeah, I'm really good, thanks. I feel, I get that. I feel wonderful.
2: I, I feel like after the, my first book, I, I felt like I had to get to the third book to class myself as an author, to do that yeah. thing of, it's not a fluke. But I've got to say, I've been listening to the audiobook book um, and I absolutely love it. It's oh, just carrying me thank away. thank you. And also, I'm someone who, when I read books, imagery sometimes doesn't do it for me. But the yeah. way it's so colourful and rich and textured, um, so for me, I'm in their world and I absolutely love it.
3: Well, thank you so much. It means the world that you that you enjoyed it. And I'm still at the stage where like the idea, just the idea of you listening to the book, I just I just can't, literally can't handle. <laughs> like, and the more authors and uh, uh, people I speak to, even musicians as well, like with their first albums or whatever, they just like can never go back and listen. I'm still at that. Like I have to, I'm doing a book festival um, in person next weekend. So I need to, need to go and read the book again and just kind of revisit it. But I I, I feel um, my overriding sense after writing that book is just, I want to improve. I just want to get better. Like I know I love doing it. I know I love the feeling of writing and creating, but I just want to get better. So it's very motivating, that feeling of, of going back to it, even if I cringe, because it's like, okay, I know I can do better than this, so I'm going yeah. to keep going. I don't want to demean the book, like I am proud of it, but yeah. it's just, uh, I don't know, it's so personal and it's so different for me writing, I guess, like 17 years, as you say, at Radio 1, of curating other people's yeah. music and other people's art and then flipping it to be the person who creates the art, it's a, it's quite a big jump, and it takes a bit of getting used to, but it's wonderful. It feels like coming home a bit. That's so
2: nice. Annie, what was your childhood like?
3: Pretty blissful, actually. I grew up in Dublin um, in a very kind of, very uh, normal kind of middle-class background, I guess, lower to middle-class, I suppose. It's in a housing estate. We live in a semi-detached house. Uh, We had quite a big garden. And I was the youngest of four. So I was surrounded by kind of chaos and noise (laughs) from a young age, always used to having this kind of large, busy, noisy family around me. My parents were and are both brilliant. Um, My dad worked in England a lot as a kid. Uh, When I was a kid, he used to come over to England from Mondays to Thursdays or Mondays to Fridays sometimes and um, my mom was a teacher. Once we all got old enough, she went back and taught in primary school. So she kind of brought us up on her own a lot of the time in the weeks. She had four kids in five years.
0: Oh,
2: um, my gosh. <laughs> I've got I three in five years. I mean, how?
3: How? I know. I don't know. It's funny when I speak to her about it. She's very like, well, we just got on with it. We just got on with it. You all slept because I mean there was no choice. I mean you just had to. You just went on and slept, and you all did as you were told. And I'm like, you, it can't have been. You must have been chaos. It must have been awful. But she doesn't really. Um, she doesn't it. She's it pushed it back to the middle. Like... Uh, you know what? I think you might be right. I think She's you from... might be right. <laughs> She's but they were both very. Yeah, they were both very kind of. You know, they didn't have loads of money. So my mum used to make all of our clothes. My dad used to, like, make the beds. You know, he was very handy with his hands. So he made furniture, made shelves and beds and stuff out of wood. And But it was an incredibly safe and, and loving upbringing. How do they feel about you moving to London? I don't know. I, I, I haven't really asked them that. I can't imagine they loved it. Like, I, I moved out of home when I was... As soon as I was old enough to do it, so as soon as I finished secondary school, I went to Belfast, which is it's only two hours from Dublin on the train but it's it's you know it was leaving home yeah. um, and I went up there to go to university to queens and i think I think that was quite hard on them actually because I was the last, yeah, so it was kind of like the last little baby leaving i mean the thought of it now as a mother is just like i can 't even think about the moment when the kids leave i know it's it's all ahead of me. But I think for them, that was hard. And,
2: and you were their baby. They, like, their I was youngest their baby. One, so that was literally the end of that chapter for them. Right. And they probably turned to each other and go, well, what now? Like, it's right. us. Right, I
3: know, I know. And they used to come and visit me up in Belfast and I would be always just totally ruined, totally hung over <laughs> from the night before sometimes still drunk from the night before and they'd show up at like 9am on a Saturday and I would have had two hours sleep and I'd be like falling falling asleep over my fry up you know when we go out for (laughs) breakfast but which is funny um, when you
2: think about us visiting our kids and them being like oh
3: my god I know but yeah so happy happy childhood and um you know my parents are still very much in my life now when did
2: you well did you start thinking about yourself being a mother at any point? Was it something that you just kept going, well, in a few years, in a few years, when I'm a certain mm-hmm. age? Because obviously with a career like yours as well, it's, it's a big thing to kind of go, I'm going to take this time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It was always something I wanted to do and naively presumed that I would be able to do. Um, I kind of um, met my now husband when I was around 30 But he is significantly younger than me. So he's seven years younger than me. So he was, I think he was 23, 24. So he was a baby when I met him. I remember having a conversation with him when he came on our first family holiday where I was like, so kids. And he was like, nah, man, not ready yet. Gonna, you know, gonna need a. I want to be around 30 when, when we do it. And at that point, I was, you know, as women do, like calculating in my head, yeah. like, hmm, that's going to make me 37. That's kind of, well, I mean, it's possible, but so we kind of, you know, compromised over the years. And eventually I had my first kid when I was 34. And talking about like career, yes, I found it incredibly hard to um to step out of what I was doing in, in a way that made me feel safe. I think yeah. it's very hard to do that. The nature of my career was that I was pretty much self-employed. Uh, the BBC employed me on a freelance basis. Um, there's I had kind of carved out this place for me in the landscape of, of kind of electronic music and, and new music. And um, there was no other women in my world doing what I was doing. Mm. So I didn't know any other, I, I still could count on one hand the amount of female DJs that are mothers um, and still DJing and still touring and, you know, but I felt very insecure about stepping out of the world of gigging mm-hmm. because you build up and up and up and up and up and you get a momentum. And then if you come out of that and you miss out on a summer of festivals and stuff, you then, you, you know, you're a step backwards and you have to yeah. build it up again. Equally, Equally with radio, Just, um, I worked so hard to get the shows that I got and the idea of someone stepping in, um, no matter who they are or how supportive they are, you're just always conscious of people who are dying to get your job.
0: Yeah.
3: Because Radio 1 is an amazing place to work and I understand that. So there's always this kind of underlying insecurity of, oh God, what if they're amazing? What if they, you know... And Radio 1, we're always very supportive and they said take as long as you like and you know luckily for me they're in the world of radio there were women before me you Joe Wiley's you Sarah Coxes yeah. who were very supportive gave me loads of advice and and were really um helpful for me in making the move but in the world of specialist music that I was in the kind of more late night alternative music world there wasn't as many so yeah it took a bit of getting used to the second kid I had, which was four years later at 38, that was a lot easier. I was way more comfortable in my world. I knew that the world wouldn't stop and I would still have jobs at the end of it. And, and what I learned after the first time, which I took four months maternity leave for my first kid, was that it wasn't just that, um, in my case, that it wasn't just that uh, I could come back to the job, but it was that there was a sense of being missed. Right. So so people were happy to have me back. And in a way, stepping out of it was kind of nearly beneficial because it made people think, oh, I really like you and I miss you and it's great you're back. So Mm -hmm. that made me feel a lot better about my myself and and my kind of trying to juggle the role of motherhood and being a DJ.
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting as well, I think for women, the the fact that that is something that We have to factor into not only like you say, we don't know whether what's going to happen when we're going to be able to actually get pregnant or if it's going to happen for us. But we have to factor in the work around that and how our bodies are going to change and what our bodies changing is going to mean for our jobs and whether we're actually going to be able to go and do those jobs up until the moment we pop or whether we're going to have to step back sooner. You know, men don't have to think about that, whereas the ones carrying the baby,
3: you do. Yeah, I found that I found that aspect of it very hard um, for two reasons. Specifically, with DJing, actually, one was DJing. Um, you, you know, at the moment, I am getting bookings for spring twenty twenty two. Everything works really far ahead, mm. so you have to think in advance um, uh, and be saying yes to shows like eight months in advance. So, I didn't know how I was going to feel, and I didn't know when to put gigs in after yeah. I had my baby. I, I didn't know when I would feel ready to go back and be in front of an audience physically and mentally, Um, when I'd feel ready to leave my baby and all of that stuff. So that was one thing I was worried about. The other thing was just the physicality of being in a room with huge bass bins and, like, noise that is, like, just, um, you know, extraordinarily loud. Yeah. Um, Well, you
2: feel it. You feel it go on your chest.
3: You know, right. so-, so so what's that doing to to the fetus? What is yeah. that doing to the baby? And I remember looking up um Google, trying to find like, you know, loud noise and babies, you know, and, and looking up this stuff about women who worked in factories over the years with really loud machinery and just trying to figure out when was the end point, like when should I stop? I remember DJing in Leeds at like a day party and the and the baby just like going bonkers in my belly <laughs> and just being like are you happy? Are you dancing or are you protesting? <laughs> like I don't know it. I don't know whether this is okay or not. So you you know it's very hard like not to feel anxious that in some way you're damaging the baby because I know they're really sensitive to noise yeah. when they're inside you. But this is this is really loud noise um and as you say it's physical. It's really yeah. physical, you know. You feel you feel dance music in your chest when mm-hmm. you're beside speakers like that. So the the baby would have been rattling around in there.
2: <laughs> it really would have been. The vibration yeah. would just
3: go. Yeah, because you're standing right in between these two massive speakers. Like, it, it is a lot. Yeah. Oh.
2: Do they love music now as a result?
3: Yeah. So my youngest is crazy about music. My oldest, they, they both actually do love music. Yeah, they do. They do. I they wonder don't if like... it
2: gives them like natural rhythm or anything like that. The fact that they've had that pulse through yeah. them so often, they're like, I know this beat, I can do it.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, currently neither of them are excellent dancers, but they're okay. very funny dancers. <laughs> so yeah.
2: Maybe the sound kind of distorted on its way through, so actually yeah. the beat isn't quite what it was on the outside.
3: You know when you're at a festival and you go to a port and, and yeah. you hear the music from outside the port I think that's what it must be like, like a total cacophony, like just yeah. horrible, like... Yeah. You wouldn't really hear any of the melody. It would just be like... ..just <laughs> like that. <laughs>
2: oh, oh, dear. What was your pregnancy like?
3: They were both wonderful. I was really lucky. I never thought about my body before in terms of this very useful tool. Yeah. I thought about it in many other ways. You know, I I hated it as a teenager. I, As, you know, so many of us do, I kind of was at war with it in a way when it came to eating and all of that. And then I came through to adulthood and just kind of wasn't very nice to it. You know, just treated like was just... Just crazy for like from a from my whole twenties and kind of early thirties, just traveling, not getting any sleep, eating really badly, drinking loads, mm-hmm. you know, just excess. So when it came to getting pregnant, it took me quite a long time. Oh, it took did about it? Nine, well, it took about nine months. So not loads of time, but I, I was awful at the, knowing when I ovulated and all of that. And we, because being me and my husband traveled loads. It was very hard to kind of get us both consistently healthy and in one place and rested and relaxed. Um, so, yeah, I was delighted when it, when it did happen. And, yeah, then just constantly surprised by how amazing the body is. And, and I guess I got this whole newfound respect of, mm. of, of realising that no matter how useless I am, my body is very useful and will get on with things. And I just have to, in the way that you kind of get on a fairground ride, you just have to kind of strap yourself in and just allow allow it to take you through yeah. the pregnancy. Um, and I was kind of um, in awe, I guess, all the way through. I also felt a little bit of panic as well about just... My agency as as a woman, I suppose, in that I felt like there was this secret that, oh, right. okay, so this is what this is what a woman's body is for. Like, is this is this why I exist? Yeah. And it was like, is this all we're here for? Like, yeah. Do you get it? I do.
2: I do get it. I do get it. But it's also interesting, the, the flip side of that, of, you know, where you've, almost hated your body, because I had the same thing, you know, and we're told to sort of nitpick at certain bits, skin Mm. should be smooth, no cellulite, nothing like that. You should have flat... All these things that we're told we should be. And actually, there's something about pregnancy where your body just takes over and it is what it Mm. is, and Mm. you're allowed to celebrate it
3: and be in awe of it during that time. And my second one, I was addicted to ice.
2: (laughs) that's i always wanted this one i never got it i was like why is it always the like some vinegar crisps or the fish and chips i wanted the ice one
3: i got mint arrows on the first one i had a mint arrow every day and then (laughs) enormous and then the second one i i was so big in my second pregnancy it was it was quite remarkable actually but um yeah, ice, man. I couldn't get enough of it. I See, used to bring, I used to fill a cup, like, like full of ice. Yeah. And put it, put it in my car so that I could chew ice on the way to work. Like, I couldn't not have ice. It was like, and it, it was like this mad compulsion. And now, I mean, we all know about this, but I have the belly. You know, the belly that yeah. looks like all the stretch marks. I don't know. How, how do you get rid of that? Like, minus- I don't think you can. It's just there forever. But it's just
2: there, yeah, your tiger stripes.
3: Yeah, and I remember um, as well after the first one, I was so naive with with pregnancy. I didn't read a lot of the books or anything. But I remember afterwards going to, like, a body pump class and um, weeing myself in the class because you had to do loads of jumping up and down and obviously yeah. I never did the kegels. And um, I remember being quite embarrassed at the end of the class and, like, saying to someone, oh, God, I've just just had a baby and, oh, you know, and, and uh, another woman being like, don't worry. We're all there. We've all been there. This is just what yeah. happens. And I remember being like, why don't, why don't I know this? Why, mm-hmm. why doesn't someone tell you that you piss yourself for the rest of your life after you have kids? Like, why is that not huge common knowledge? Like, I, Well, and also, it, though, there's so many of these things that so don't get spoken about. And
2: we're just living with it because we're embarrassed to talk to other people yeah. about it. But it is something that we don't talk about enough. No. But when you do, it's such a powerful thing when you say to someone, you know, this happens, yeah. and for them to kind of go, you're not on your own, because I think yeah. that encourages you to take that, that those steps. Kind of, well, it's not embarrassing. People, it, yeah. it happens to people. You know, we can. There are things that we can do to make it a little bit better. I mean, mm. I still don't go on the trampoline to be fair. Oh
3: god no. Oh god no. no. And I can't sprint. I can't sprint without leaking in yeah, some yeah, way. Yeah. yeah. I I don't really feel like that embarrassed about it. I'm just more annoyed by it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just why? more like this is fucking unfair. Like we went through everything. Can you not at least just like let us sprint and jump in peace yeah let the other <laughs> halves get pussy pants not us yeah. can't they do the kegels for us
2: <laughs> at least at least that that would be good
0: right <laughs> oh dear A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your
1: specialist to
0: see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.
1: For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300.
0: Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.
2: So what was your first pregnancy like? Did you go into it th- like... Or, you said you read no books. Did you yeah. go into it with any idea of what it was going to be like?
3: So I did read one book, and uh-huh. you'll probably know this one. It's a really famous one. Obviously, I can't remember. Oh no, I was thought I thought I knew her name. It's a book from the seventies, right. and it's about it's about a woman who's part of a kind of traveling uh, crew of people who all live in caravans, and she's a midwife. It's just all about natural birthing, basically, and the reasons for natural birthing and why it is the best way. And in this case, she would get loads of cushions and she'd get the guy to, you know, be with the girl and like be kissing her and trying to get all the, what is it, oxy? Oxytocin. Thank you. I always call it Oxycontin, which is totally different. Oxytocin out. And so some of it is ridiculous. It's like, I'm not going to be snogging my husband during labor. That's not happening. Get off me. but, (laughs) But some of it, some of it was actually. I don't know. I just I liked the I liked the ethos of it. I I believed in the ethos of it. Yeah. But equally, I wasn't going to, um, you know, take any risks. And um, when it was my first, I did see if there was a home birthing, you know, team, but there just wasn't any available I- yeah. in my area. So I went to the hospital, and um, I mean, the labour was pretty. Uh, it was natural. It was very quick, but it was pretty. Um, fraught because we went to the hospital too late, basically. Oh, really? He was timing the contractions and he got it all wrong. And then he called in Alison Lee and it took ages to get there. And by the time I got in the cab, um, my contractions were so violent. Like I, I was, I was had the urge to push. Oh, my we god! It was 8 a.m. on a Monday morning and we were stuck in traffic. And I remember asking, I was delirious. I was asked everyone in the car, my husband, my mom and the driver, to pray. I was like, we all have to pray. And I was shouting at the driver, you have to break the law. You have, to, you have to get past this traffic jam. And he did in the end. He just basically drove on the wrong side of the road to get me to the hospital. And when I got there, I was absolutely hysterical because, I, again, I was trying not to push. Yeah. Um,
2: Which is a huge fight as well. That's a a huge huge fight with your body because your body. You know, we see so many films and TV shows where people are being shouted at to push, but actually, your body, when it gets to that point,
3: you have no choice. Yeah. So I got in and I was delirious and, and and I was kind of shouting at everyone and I kind of walked in. And I went, let's get this fucking show on the road. <laughs> and my husband was like, I'm really sorry about her. So I couldn't <laughs> stop swearing. And then this midwife came up to me. I think she was Spanish and her name began with S. But I, I'll never forget her because she just grabbed me and she said, you're going to have to stop shouting. That's not helping. We're going to get this baby out. Just listen to me. And you know when you just you just needed some... I just felt so scared and out of control. I just needed someone to take control. And I was like, whatever you want, just tell me what to do. Like, I was so locked into her. I was nine centimetres dilated when I got there. They put me in the bath to slow it down. And then um, the baby came, like, about an hour later... Wow. Um, So, yeah, that was pretty frantic and pretty quick. And then the second one was just as quick, but um, I kind of knew more about what I was doing. So I was in the hospital earlier and I had a lovely little room um, in the birthing suite and I did it in the pool both times. It was just lovely,
2: yeah. So nice. Really lovely, yeah,
3: yeah. Apart from the panic of the first one, they were both incredibly... um, Just beautiful moments, actually. Yeah, I feel so lucky that I had that experience of birth. Um, I have a lot of friends who have had just awful, nearly traumatic experiences where they just don't even, you know, want to go back because it's been that damaging physically and, you know, scary mentally as well.
2: Yeah. Did you have your mum with you both times?
3: First time I had my mum. The second time... I didn't, but she came over soon after. Yeah, the first time when I was kind of wandering around the house at 6am on a Monday morning, my mum knew. She was like, you have to go to hospital. And I was like, it's fine. He's doing the contractions. And she was like, just hovering with a worried face going, I think you should go to hospital. And of course she was right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's fine, because we can say that she was right now. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. And fair ado to her, she didn't say I told you so afterwards. That's so good. I That's appreciate good. that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what was it like the first moment meeting your your first baby?
3: It was incredible. I was lying in a bath um, with little bits of poo floating all over the surface, <laughs> surrounded by midwives. The room had a disco ball on the roof, which I felt like was some weird, like, prophetic moment. I had this amazing music on, uh, just kind of piano music, a solo piano by a guy called Chili Gonzalez, and I was high on gas and air, and it was—I don't know—I can't really tell you a word that encapsulates it. Yeah. Really, it was just magical. They put him in my arms, but I was shaking so much um, that I couldn't hold him very well. Yeah. So they took him out and they gave him to my husband. So he had him. Um. And that, I remember just turning around in the bath just to look at them both. And that just being just the most lovely moment. And then I had to give birth to the placenta. And no one fucking tells you about that. Nice. That's another thing. Yeah. So because I, I was in the bath, they didn't give me an injection that just kind of allowed it to fall out. Right. I, had to, I had to push it out. And it was fucking enormous. And it was really, really sore. And it took another kind of 20 minutes of, mm. of kind of pushing to get it out. And I just wasn't prepared for that because my body had kind of gone into shock as it does. And then it had just kind of relaxed. Yeah. So it was like, what, you fucking, you want me to do this again? Have I not what? given you enough? What? <laughs> so that was a bit crap.
2: Well, what was it like when you went home for the first time?
3: It was lovely. Both times, well, I remember bringing my youngest out, uh, sorry, my my first baby out, and I remember everything feeling really predatory. Like, even the cars, the sound of the engines felt aggressive and threatening. Um, He was just so tiny and so vulnerable. I just felt this kind of, I guess, very natural kind of urge just to protect him. And then when I got him home, I felt, relaxed a bit more yeah. but still very scared I remember him lying in his cot and um, I had my in-laws staying with me and um I remember he vomited and I was so freaked out by that I kind of burst out crying I was like oh my god he's crying he's like getting sick what does it mean blah blah, blah. of course then it was all the time but um it's a haze isn't it it's just this yeah. kind of foggy foggy haze of love I, I remember um me and my husband being so, it was like being on drugs. Yeah. We we were high. We yeah. were high on love. Yeah. I remember us both crying a lot, and I remember he was born in May, sitting in the garden, and the lilacs in our garden blossoming, and the garden just being this beautiful kind of, you know, uh, purple haze, with him in the cot with the uh, with with the um kind of blanket over the cot so the flies couldn't get into him just sleeping all day and him snuffling on my chest it's the most beautiful memories and whenever may comes around and the lilacs come out because we're still in the same house i always remember that time so precious yeah so precious yeah
2: and what was it like then knowing
3: that you were going to be going back to work how much time did you give off get yourself off so the first time I gave myself, I think it was four months off the radio, but I was back DJing after six weeks and that was probably a bit too soon. I had I had Lovebox Festival six weeks after and um, I just remember feeling a bit like I wasn't ready for it. But, you know, that yeah. was no one's fault. You know, you just, I just, I said yes to it. Like we, like we said, I just yeah, didn't yeah. know how it was going to feel. And when it's one off, that's yeah. all right. You know, you yeah. can go, you can do it and then you can, Forget about things again, so yeah. so it was okay. But and then the second time, I felt a lot more comfortable being away, and I took six months off, and right. I took um, took a, look a, a bit more time DJing as well. But that time, I, I kind of used. I still felt very kind of creatively inspired. I've always found that with pregnancies, I feel inspired mm. once I get my sleep back and I can think straight. So that's what that's when I started podcasting from the end of my garden, and I started you know, a writing course and just kind of wanted to try some new things in my second maternity leave. And it was lovely to have a bit of time to be able to do that and a bit of space. But I think my kind of obsession with scheduling and planning is is a reaction to those early years of mothering and working and just trying to get tick every box. Yeah,
2: how did you make that work? Because that's such a big juggle and, and, you know... And, I mean, for Tom and I, we literally have to sit down once a month and go. Something's got to give. I think we never, we've not achieved a balance, and mm. and I think you're, and that's obviously a part of why you left Radio One as well, is to get a bit more of a balance that suits suits you after so many years. Um, sure. But what was that juggle like
3: in the early days? I remember it feeling just this constant sense of like Tetris, like having to slot things into your your hours. And I remember staying up at night a lot and the things that made me lose sleep was always... It was always time and the lack of it and mm. how much I would be able... I would kind of measure the work I've taken on compared to the time I have with the kids. And if I do that, if I take that gig, that's a four-hour drive back from Liverpool, which means I'll get home at... which means I can sleep until 10.30, which means I can... You know, it's all that constant, constant back timing in your head of how much time you will have with them and what you can and can't do with them. And um, you don't really realise that it's happening. Um, And then I guess it came to a head, the years kind of leading up to when I was 40. So I had my second kid when I was 38, and I'd taken a lot of stuff on. I was doing a lot of events, big conferences. I was um, obviously gigging loads. I had my radio show and there's a lot that comes with that. And then mm-hmm. there's obviously always other stuff on top of the, of the basics in your career. And then on top of that, after I had my second kid, as I told you, I tried a few new things. So I took up writing, I tried to write a book and I did a podcast. And I knew that there would be a few years of things being crazy if I tried these new things, but yeah. I wanted to see if they stuck. I wanted to see if I could do them and they could be viable career options. And in order to do that, I had to do them alongside everything yeah. else. And it was too much. But obviously. that's the thing,
2: isn't it? We say to ourselves, but we'll only, we'll do, it will be like this, but it will only be like this for a short time. I'm just going to do this for a year, two years. And, and unfortunately, that kind of bleeds over and we end up going into mm. we, it's, it's not sustainable.
3: No. And and so I had a kind of I don't know I just had a bit of an epiphany and was like you know this isn't this isn't going to work and yeah. I guess I I did um I did an audit of my career and um what I actually really want to do and what brings me joy and what's sustainable and what's 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 got legs and and you know what can grow and over covid which came at a time that was really I mean, it wasn't, I don't ever want to put the word useful with COVID, but just in terms of the time it afforded, it made me then look at things and go, "Okay, I know now that I don't want to do this aspect of my career anymore, so I'm going to just let that go. And then I got quite addicted to that, and I've changed lots in my career. And
2: Haven't you also changed lots with how you function at at home as well? So I I read an interview that you did where you said that before COVID, because you were here, there and everywhere, you, you had a, a little bit of help at home. Whereas yeah. now being yeah. at home, you've, you've kind of taken over so much of... That's you know, true. You know, getting the kids organised and their lunches yeah. and all those little things that they add on, uh, like the maternal load, you know, they add on more mm, and more and more mm, and actually mm. being able to alleviate it at times frees you up. Whereas actually you've brought those back into your life, yeah. which I find really interesting.
3: So yeah, so my oldest son is eight, and all the way through his life, because me and my husband have both worked full time, we've had childcare. Um, and in COVID, we we stopped using childcare uh, because we were here all the time. Yeah. So I became way more in like invested in the kids' just day to day life. So being in charge of all the laundry all the time, knowing where their cub uniform is, like just just basic parent stuff um, that I've always kind of been around but never been fully on. Yeah. So having a meal plan, you know, bulk, bulk cooking, all this <laughs> stuff that's been very far away in, in, in my kind of parenting world came in and I realised that I really enjoyed being someone who was keeping house. Yeah. I've never really kept house. I've lived there, I've held it together, but I've never, I've never been at like fully kept every aspect of it. And I don't know if it's going to last, but right now I really enjoy that aspect of kind of being in control of everything and being there fully for the kids. Um, Isn't that
2: fascinating though? Because I wonder if you'd have got to that, like that realization had we not been forced to stop because you wouldn't have been in a position because we you're in that go 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 everything's happening all the time it's Mm. you know it it takes a it takes a pandemic for people to stop you know and be at home
3: you know because
2: otherwise that would that would rarely happen
3: yeah and and I must say my husband as well like he you know I think both of us felt a bit like we were blagging it as parents. Like all parents are blagging it, right? Yeah. There's no you can't, you can't, There's no such thing as a qualified parent. But yeah. at the start, our lifestyles were so um, kind of crazy and chaotic. And I think we've settled down and we've grown as people and we've kind of nested a bit. And yeah. it's all quite reactive to how busy I was. And I've kind of set boundaries for what work I will do and what work I won't do. And Radio One was just, that decision was just like, you know what, I want to be around in the evenings. Like, I haven't been here for dinner and bedtime in the evenings um, for pr- pretty much my whole first son's life. Now, listen, a lot of my friends are like, Are you sure you want to be there at bedtime? Because it's <laughs> not good. Imagine you if you're sure? like, Next
2: week, you just like, I'll take it back.
3: Right, back to it. Radio <laughs> One. i it's like not started yet
2: because I'm, sure, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to come back.
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> But we have, you know, we have a child, we have like um, someone who comes on Thursdays who does dinner in bed. So that's cool. So I know I have like my little Thursday night where I can go and have dinner and whatever. So, and then teas around too. So it's not going to be every night. And I don't know, I just feel I'm there for it. Like just lying in bed with my son and having chats about the day. And you know, there's, there's aspects that you only get at that time. Yeah. You know, once, yeah, it's horrible getting them into bed and all of that. But when they're in bed and you can just have little chats with them about the day and what they're thinking and stuff, that's lovely. And I'm, yeah. and I'm going to hopefully have a lot of them moving forwards. I love that. Hmm.
2: Annie, if you could write a letter on motherhood, and yeah. it, so you could be to anyone about anything themed around motherhood, who would it be to and what would it say?
3: I'd probably write to my own mother and say, how the hell did you do that? (laughs) And then I'd say, thank you for doing it and for producing four children who all really like each other and are all healthy enough and happy and for giving me a very loving and um, just supportive and uplifting childhood, Um, despite having a million nappies to... Change and kids to feed and God. Like, yeah. I, I'm just in awe of what she did and how she did it, basically. She wanted another one too, my dad put put his foot down. Like, no. Really? Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? I think I, I I heard once someone said to me, When you're done, you know. And I mm. do feel like my body kind of went, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, there. see, I didn't know. I was like and I think I I reached kind of I don't know, it was it was about two years after my kid was born, so I was around forty-ish. Yeah. And obviously, when you get to that point as a woman, you can't help but be thinking about how much time do I have left?
2: Yeah.
3: And I I think I confused that feeling, of like, oh God, I don't have much time left. Maybe I should do it. With the feeling of actually wanting to do it. Like right. I, I don't think I I don't think I really wanted to do it. I just felt like I don't have much time left, so I should. So I I went through a phase of really wanting another kid.
2: Really? And then
3: my husband said the absolute right thing to me to change my mind, which was, the biggest thing you worry about in life is not having enough time for your kids. So why would you bring another one in when you don't have enough time for two? I was like, you fucker, you're right. (laughs) We'll get a dog. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't got the dog yet.
2: (laughs) That's so true though, isn't it?
3: Mm, so true.
2: I end each episode with you Mm. completing three sentences.
3: Yes.
2: (laughs) The first one is, being a mum means?
3: I would say being a mum means rediscovering your body. So for me, it was that. It was very looking at my body totally new for the first time as something, as this incredible machine, yeah. That I happen to be in, <laughs> be part of. Yeah. The next sentence is, since having children, I... Since having children, I will never take sleep for granted again.
2: <laughs> but and you're someone that probably didn't get that much sleep beforehand or but slept that very was, strange that hours. Was,
3: that was chosen, mostly, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Before children, I used to go to the after party, you know, it, that was, you know, then I had kids and the problem was I was still going to bed late because of the nature of my job. But then I would have to wake up really early. Yeah. So, yeah, sleep and the lack of sleep. I, for me, it, it's just everything. I've never been one of those people who can kind of get by on little sleep.
2: Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. And the final sentence is, I'm happy when...
3: I'm happy when my kids are happy, right? Yeah. There's that saying, you're always as happy as your, what is it? You're You're only as happy as your unhappiest child. Thank you. That's it. It's that. It's so true. Yeah. When my kids are content, I feel a deep sense of contentment. And um, when it's the other way around, I feel that too. So that's, I guess, what being a a mum is all about. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Annie, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for giving me your time today. Thank you for having me. I really
3: enjoyed it. Thank you so much.